0: Welcome to SCI Science Perspectives, a podcast brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. In this podcast, we'll be discussing emerging literature spanning the full spectrum of SCI research, from discovery to clinical application. Today, you're listening to a Scholarly Perspectives episode, recorded live at the American Spinal Injury Association annual meeting in Atlanta, Georgia, 2023, with Stephanie Philippe Ratway. I'm Dave.
1: And I'm Marla, and we're your hosts for today. And today we'll be discussing the unpublished awarded project called the Use of Functional Electrical Stimulation in Conjunction with Respiratory Muscle Training to Improve Unaided Cough in Individuals with Acute Spinal Cord Injury, which is enabled due to the Craig H. Nielsen Foundation, Allied Health Professional Research Award of Asia. Our guest today is Steph Felipe Ratway. Steph received her master's degree in speech-language pathology at Florida State University in 1993. She spent 26 to 27 years working across the continuum of care, including the acute hospital, inpatient and outpatient rehabilitation with patients with varying impairments. Currently, she is at the Christine E. Lynn Rehabilitation Center for the Miami Project Care Paralysis at UHealth Jackson Memorial. In 2018, she joined the spinal cord injury rehabilitation team and work, and works on the acute rehabilitation side. So welcome, Steph.
2: Thank you. Thank you for um, having me here today.
1: Absolutely, and congratulations on your award. And we are super excited. Both Dave and I were really excited when we read your proposal. to have you here today. So can you start off by just telling us a little bit about your project, telling us a little bit about the protocol and kind of what made you come up with this idea in the first place?
2: Um, yes, well, you know, they always say necessity is the mother of uh, of invention, although I don't claim to have invented this at all. But um, I'll start to with basically the motivation for the, the project. And, and I'll talk a little bit more about the project. Like uh, you uh, stated in my bio in 2018, I was asked to join the spinal cord unit uh, on the rehabilitation side, partly because of my experience working with tracheostomy and ventilator-dependent patient. I had worked for several years uh, in the Emory system and here in Atlanta uh, in their LTAC, uh unit and had gained some pretty solid knowledge about uh, the needs of patients with uh, tracheostomies and also like uh, obstructive respiratory um, diseases and uh, had worked some with spinal cord injured patients, but not, not very many. And so when I got to the spinal cord unit, initially I didn't really understand the role um, that uh, the speech pathologist would play in the uh, rehabilitation phases of of you know recovery, especially that world is typically what's the word I'm looking for. Mostly, occupational therapy and physical therapists are responsible for the rehabilitation. And then with speech pathology, we have a limited role with um, swallowing if there's an issue there. Um, But as I got entrenched in um, the world of spinal cord injury, I understood more and more that I actually had an important role in the recovery, especially with the issues um, that they face with regard to respiratory, not necessarily obstructive, right, which is what I had known about, but really restrictive respiratory issues, the lack of... Ability to call on the abdominal muscles and uh, the intercostal muscles to help with clearing secretions actually um, places these patients at high risk for all sorts of long-term difficulties, especially with managing secretions and and breathing. So, in my search to do a better job. Uh, I started doing some literature review and came across many articles that spoke about uh, not only using what I knew about, which was respiratory muscle training, but also combining FES, which is functional electrical stimulation, to help patients with their ability to, to clear their secretions. And so I then took this idea to a dear friend of mine who's also this very uh, wonderful physical therapist. Her name is Lauren Kaminsky and asked her if she would work with me uh, because uh, the FES is mostly used in physical therapy as one of the modalities in physical therapy in in sort of developing a protocol to help the high-level tetraplegic, especially patients um, with restoring cough. And so that's that's basically how, how this project came to be. And we started in the clinic and uh, Lauren had the idea of taking this project to Dr. Gator, um, who was at the time the um, chief medical officer, and I don't remember his other titles. <laughs> David, you can help me with that at the University of Miami, uh, Christian Lind uh, Rehabilitation Center. And uh, with his help, we were able to develop this project. Uh, Lauren has since left the practice uh, at uh, University of Miami. So then uh, that made me lead in the, pro- in the project and I just continued uh, with this work um, along with my mentors.
0: Great, so you bring up this awesome integrated approach enabled by one of the great enablers in our field, Dr. David Gator. May he rest in peace. Yes. And what, for those unfortunately who aren't familiar with an SLP, what kind of training would an SLP have with respect to electrical stimulation? Like, do you feel like you came in ready to interface with FES?
2: We do have uh, some use of neuromuscular electrical stimulation in the field of speech pathology. Typically it's used during rehabilitation of the swallow and um it's the innovators i guess in the field is i don't remember the researcher name but the technique was called vital stim it's since it continues to be um, quite important in our field but there are other modalities that um, have since come to play. But yes, I did feel ready to interface with, with uh, definitely the electrical, electrical stimulation because of my experience using uh, NMES with swallowing rehabilitation. The difference is that um, the SLP typically, the scope is usually uh, looking at rehabilitation. Again, like I said, swallowing. There are some other... Uh, applications, for example, post a stroke or a CVA. Uh, if there's a dense hemi asymmetry in the, the musculature of the face, for example, we do use NMES to, to, as a modality to rehabilitate that. And there are some other uses as well. But with the functional E-STEM uh, applied in physical therapy, right, you're looking at larger uh, skeletal muscles.
0: That's great. And for our listeners, NMES would be neuromuscular electrical stimulation, usually applied through the skin. So you might also hear TNMES for transcutaneous. So can you walk us then where you were going there, Steph, into the project here and maybe kind of highlight a little bit of how the electrode size, placement, stimulation parameters, et cetera, et cetera, differ for this use?
2: Uh, Yes. So the project is basically a combination of modalities to aid in restoration or at least helping uh, with an unaided cough. And so I'll start with um, what I know very well as a speech pathologist, and that's respiratory muscle training. We know that there are several groups of muscles that help us with inhalation and expiration exhalation, uh, right? One of the largest ones is definitely the diaphragm. So in the respiratory muscle training, that is something that we uh, pay very close attention to. So there is work done with inhalation, training the muscles, loading the muscle, the diaphragm. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later with regard to loading the diaphragm. But that's part of I would say the protocol that's used at the bedside or in rehab to help, to inspiratory. And then we know that typically the exhalation phase is more of a passive recoil phase, but we do need some force in order to help with clearing secretions or coughing or sneezing. And that's where the abdominal muscles, the muscles of the thorax, the muscles of the abdominal area are very important in in that. And so, with expiratory muscle training, we also talk about loading the muscles and working on voluntary cough training with regard to you know trying to generate as much force as uh, the person can in order to expectorate or exhale forcefully. Unfortunately, with cervical injuries, those abdominal muscles are not available. We know that the innervation, uh, typically it's, you know, thoracic, lumbar for, for that function. And so we needed uh, a way to either access those muscles or use a different sort of um muscle group group that are available to the the high tetras. And so we know that, uh, the, the the latissimus dorsi and the the pectoralis major typically are those the innervation is much higher right it's typically in a cervical area and the literature also points to when accessory muscles are uh, called upon to actually com- compensate for the lack of the abdominals and so using the um, FES, right, so functional electrical stimulation to try and bulk up the muscles. So we're hoping to uh, use um, the principles of hypertrophy in, in those accessory muscles that the patients have access to actually help with generating the force that's necessary to produce a cough or a sneeze or an, a forced exhalation. Uh, which otherwise they wouldn't have. Um, And so that's basically what the proposal is, is to combine the traditional respiratory muscle training. We know that it's evidence-based. There's a lot of research that backs up the uh, use of respiratory muscle training. And then we know that there's evidence using FES to help with training the muscles and that. So combining the two made sense to me. It made sense to Lauren when I took um, this proposal to her. And most importantly, it made sense to Dr. Gator. (laughs) It's It's always a good sign. And um, like you said, David, he was instrumental in getting really all the people that we needed to sort of help support um, this project.
0: And now we carry it on in his legacy.
2: Yes, absolutely. You hit some
1: incredibly important topics, you know, when we're talking about spinal cord injury in general, we talked about, you know, the integrated care with you and physical therapy team, what speech therapy can bring to the table as far as these patients, um, that are not even presenting with tracheostomy or, you know, respiratory failure or anything at this point, just super important. The other, um, thing that you brought up with the FES, you know, that we were discussing before is, yeah, at these big centers, FES is pretty accessible, in our acute rehab centers, it's cheap. So that's helpful as well. And most patients can tolerate it, which is also helpful. And then another great point that you brought up, which has been really applicable at this conference in talking about our adaptive sports athletes is the idea of loading. Uh, We had a great lecture by a team from Mayo Clinic yesterday about the concept of loading as it relates to, our athletes trying to strengthen muscles to participate in their sports and you just were able to relate that beautifully to you know the respiratory muscle systems one of the things that i thought was really interesting when reading this is um you know how you're deciding which muscles to sort of target and how that might work independently of you know what what the patient that you're selecting so you know if somebody presents in as a c7a versus you know a mid thoracic or high thoracic and how you're sort of choosing which muscles you may target so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know what your thoughts are on that, and if that might play into your protocol
2: at all. Absolutely, we we actually started this modeled. Um, there's a study by Lim and all, and another one. Uh, I think McBain is another researcher, and they uh, placed their electrodes. Uh, so so, going back, um, their studies wanted to state the um, target. I guess if I if I may use that word, was to see the effects of the different placement um, of abdominal FES and the cough response. And um, so these studies sort of measured using different things. Um, I think one study actually used the gastric pressures to see while the FES was on, you know, what kind of pressure generation um, they were able to, to obtain. And a lot of the placements that we we saw in, in the, those two studies that I mentioned and some other ones that we also cited in the, this proposal uh, was to use the rectus abdominis and the obliques. And so we actually, in our work in the clinic, we actually started with those placements. Thanks to the advice of my other mentor, I have two mentors on this project, Dr. Elizabeth Felix, uh, who's a researcher at University of Miami, and also Dr. Janine Hoyt, who's the SLP. She's out of Arizona. And by the way, I met her through Dr. Gator's (laughs) doing. Um, She spoke at the the ASKIP conference last year at his invitation. Unfortunately, he passed away before um, that conference. But she thought that trying to move the electrodes to see which placement, and knowing that the latissimus dorsi, the innervation is higher, right, it's in the cervical, like I said, uh, region, see just just to see if we could get different results, and so we began just looking at uh, placement of the latissimus dorsi, innervating or excuse me, stimulating the lats because it's one of the larger muscle groups. And we also thought about the pectoralis major. Again, it's high innervated higher, but the in, in doing this work, we realize that there's more of a compression when you uh, of the of the uh, abdominal region uh, when you stimulate the latissimus dorsi versus the pectoralis that tends to lift the chest wall. So it helps with inhalation. And we were concerned about the cough, right? We need the compression so that it made more sense to actually stimulate the latissimus dorsi. And in the clinic in doing so, we actually, one of the outcome measures that we're looking for is the peak cough flow. So we actually saw a difference when The stim was on latusis dorsii, and we would ask a patient to cough. The peak cough flow was was greater. And again, going with the principles of exercise physiology, if you train a large, larger muscle group, the hypothesis is right that you'll get a greater force from from that particular muscle group. So that's that's one of the reasons why we decided to. Go ahead and um, use latissimus dorsi along with the obliques to help. And and in answering your question about how do do we decide depending on the the level of injury, it's a great question because in the clinic, even though this proposal is just looking at. Tetraplegia. In the clinic, we've actually applied this method with uh, thoracic injuries, and we do change the placement of the um, of the electrodes uh, when we um, when we train. And actually, we're also seeing improved cough flow u- using the latissimus dorsi as well. So it's it's really interesting. Yeah. The placement of the electrodes are, is sometimes um, informed by the level of injury.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very important. So, I have a two part question here. The first part is just clarification. You could answer with a simple yes, no. Am I understanding that the intent here is to do training with the FES device so that the coughing without the device is benefited? Yes. Okay, great. And then, with the fes assisted training you use the term unaided so does the person have any uh, volitional input to the training what's it like for them like what triggers the onset of the fes how long is it on are they asked to cough while it's on can you explain that to us
2: yes so the sessions are typically uh 30 minute sessions the fes is not on for the, the entire time the takes time for us to place the electrodes and to actually um, do the muscle testing and elicit the uh, response from the stimulation. The training is basically using a device that loads the muscle. Uh, the particular device that we use for the respiratory muscle training is called uh, Expiratory Muscle Strength Trainer 75 Light It's it's a product that's manufactured by a small company called Aspire and it was developed in part by a speech language pathologist out of the University of Florida called uh, Christine Sapenzia in her team, they sort of developed that. It looks like a PEEP uh, flow meter, and it has a dial uh, that you can sort of, you know, turn clockwise, and it increases the load of um, the the breath, right? What, how you're loading the muscle. Um, and it starts at zero centimeters of Water and it goes all the way to 75 centimeters of water. So, just to give you an idea of the load that is needed to disengage the membrane, when we speak at a normal conversational level, uh, our muscle load uh, to support the breath, to support phonation or the voice is about five to seven centimeters H2O. When we're shouting, typically it's between, you know, it goes up 10 to 12, depending on how loud. If you are picking up something and you've, you know, you're performing a valsalva, picking up something very hard, of course, the load that the muscles have goes greater. And for an in instance, when you're constipated, the load is even greater. I think it's about... 150 200 something like that centimeters of h2o. So again we're trying to increase the load that the muscles of ex- exhalation um, are having to to perform um, this exercise So, we use the EMST-75. There is a protocol. We typically set the, the load at about 75% of their maximum expiratory pressure. And we have them do several repetitions of just blowing through this device while the FES is applied. So as the person is blowing through the device, the FES is you know, is on, typically the duration is about one second per breath. And then they get about two to three second pause, and then they do it again. And it, it goes through, we typically do 25 breaths in one training. We pause every five breaths or so for about 10 seconds, and then we start again. So that power of five, uh, which again goes with the hypertrophy theory there with loading as great uh, load, low repetition, and then completing the sets. So that's basically what we do with part of the training. And then the other part, of course, we're training the patient to cough. So it makes sense to actually incorporate a cough during the training. And so the cough that we use is called a huff cough. And if you ever have seen an older person with emphysema try to hack something up, say, you know, a very strong forced exhalation. And with that, the FES is also applied during those repetitious the repetition of the, the huff cough. And from start to finish, that whole thing can take about 20 to 25 minutes. We have like a five minute setup and five minute takedown. So the full session is about a half an hour. And right now uh, the proposal is to do the training three days a week for a total of four weeks. And the reason why we chose four weeks was because it matches the typical length of stay for the tetraplegia in a rehabilitation center. Again, this is, you know, the first iteration of this proposal. Hopefully, we, our findings will support looking at long, longer training times once they're in the outpatient center, etc.
0: That's great. Thanks, Steph. Very clear. So the participants are during the training maybe asked to contribute to the coughing. You brought up earlier, though, some studies have looked at outcomes like gastric pressures. So would the participants expect to get something other than cough for this? Like, is there anything unintended that occurs?
2: That's a great question. We actually have in our proposal, in the proposal, we have a questionnaire that has to do with um, bowel function. And again, it's because of the abdominal pressure that um, we are looking to positively affect, um, because this is a re- this research is taking place sort of in a clinical setting. We don't I don't have access to some of the more the high tech or more invasive sort of measuring tools. For example, like the gastric pressures, uh, I can't measure that. So we're using a questionnaire to get some object some subjective information.
0: And I imagine you would know if they had a bowel movement.
2: Yes, <laughs> that would be very apparent. Yes.
0: <laughs> Great. Thank you.
2: Well,
1: this sounds really exciting. I know we're all excited to hear what you guys come up with, what the results are and how maybe we can implement this into our own practice. So let's just say, you know, a year from now, we're at the next, uh, Asia conference which um, is going to be obviously super fun here in Puerto Rico, in case you haven't heard it. (laughs) That was just announced last night. But let's say that, you know, your hypotheses are confirmed. You know, the protocol that you're using is working. What is the next step? What would the next study be? Um, You sort of alluded to maybe a longer time period, maybe some additional follow up. But what would the next what would the next study look like?
2: Gosh, I have so many ideas about this, and uh, it's great that I have had really great mentorship. The not only from Dr. Gator, but one someone I I really do need to to highlight uh, because he's been instrumental in in helping with um, you know so much uh, is uh, Dr. Gary Farcas. Um, he's just been instrumental in uh, really sort of helping me put all of my ideas together (laughs) and writing them where it makes sense. So thank you so much to Dr. Farkas. But to answer your question, I'm hoping that we can incorporate the uh, population with lower injuries uh, for the next study. So paraplegic uh, patients, because they also have high risk of respiratory complications, especially within the first year of their injury. So that's really where I think the next step is going to be. Hopefully uh, we do get the results that we're hoping for and also to continue with the training of the respiratory system, we know that once uh, you stop training, you know there's a lot of loss of some of the gains that you've experienced. We all experience that, whether <laughs> you know, we've skipped a few weeks of the gym, etc. So, so that's another phase or sort of another direction that I want to take this project is to sort of see how once the patients are no longer in the acute rehab hospital that they can actually continue working at home with a the the respiratory muscle trainer, which is you know a non-high tech device. But then when they come back for outpatient, if we can continue to stimulate those muscles and 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 work towards uh, more independence is in 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 coughing. Right now the more accepted ways or the more known ways that uh, patients have to clear their secretions are either in with the aid of their caregivers, especially with high tetraplegics with you know the aided quad cough. We are familiar with that or there are some coughing assistance uh, machines or devices that Uh, they can take home sometimes the the uh, insurance companies don't cover that so there's limitations with with all of that so that's kind of where I'm what I'm hoping to see is is having these people become more and more independent in in clearing their secretions and sneezing and coughing and that kind of thing and and I forgot to mention the uh, one unintended (laughs) consequence of training the abdominal muscles is um, laughter. I've had a couple of my patients tell me, oh my gosh, I'm able to like laugh out loud, (laughs) which was really awesome. I had two patients of mine tell me that. So it's pretty cool.
1: That's awesome. Unintended consequence of laughter. We'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Steph, this is an incredible project, really, brilliant work, and we really appreciate you sharing your work with us here today, and we'll definitely be following to see what what happens. So thank you so much for spending your
2: time with us. Today. Thank you so much. I I really, you put me at ease here. I was super nervous. So thank you so much to both you and Dave. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Steph. Good luck on your project.
2: I wanted to take a few minutes just to thank my mentors who have inspired me and guided me throughout this project. I have two that are named, who are named on the grant, and that's Dr. Hoyt. She's an SLP at University of Arizona. And then Dr. Felix, who is at the University of Miami and works also. Uh, with University of Miami Project for the Cure of Paralysis. They've guided me uh, tremendously throughout the development of the protocol and I just wanted to thank them. Uh, I also wanted to thank Dr. Gary Farkas who has also helped me with really all the mechanics of writing a grant. Uh, Thank you so much for all the dedication and the time that you guys have spent with me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of SCI Science Perspectives brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. The paper discussed in this episode was chosen based on the recommendation of Asia's Communication Committee. The paper discussed in this episode was chosen based on the recommendation of Asia's Education Committee. This podcast is made possible by the leadership of Dr. Suzanne Groh, your producer hosts, David McMillan, that's me, and Marla Petriello, our editor, Abby Fox, production assistant, Jane conception and Asia's front office. If you have any comments, questions or concerns, please contact us at S C I perspectives podcast at gmail.com.